host listening to the Concierge Medicine Morning Show in all of the United States. Thank you for joining us. We are pleased to use what is hopefully going to be, if not already, the most used software in the United States for membership medicine practices. And that, of course, is AtmosMD. AtmosMD is your one-stop source for billing, coding, not coding, charting, and sending messages to patients, ordering medications and everything else under the sun can be direct primary care with concierge medicine. To learn more about that, go to askdrcom.com, click on the special offer for Atlas and and you will experience Atlas and D for 60 days without having to pay one penny. And today I'm pleased to have in the office with me Mr. Chris Yates, who is our go-to source for marketing materials, but also our go-to source for uh, ideas about promotional marketing and strategies and he is the head of blue dot promotions chris thank you for joining us hey thanks for having me you're welcome uh this morning we're going to cover a few things that are in the news there's no uh big blockbusters out there today uh as far as um, anything that's important that is nationally news as far as i'm aware of so that's a good thing because that means there hasn't been any recent uh catastrophic events having to do with uh casualties so that's always good um, also, we want to cover uh, some of the um, the song of the week is going to be from Deep Purple, one of Chris's favorite bands. One of my favorites. And one of the first things I wanted to talk about was Daniel Day-Lewis, who is, if you're not familiar, one of the most proficient actors in this generation of actors, meaning the ones that are from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, has announced his retirement. And in honor of that, we will watch one of what I think is his best movies, and that is the movie called There Will Be Blood, which took place in 2007. And let me just go ahead and play that. Ladies and gentlemen, I've traveled over half our state to be here tonight. I couldn't get away sooner because my new well was coming in at Coyote Hills and I had to see about it. Ladies and gentlemen, if I say I'm an oil man, you will agree. I'm a family man. I run a family business. This is my son and my partner, H.W. Plainview. You boys are a regular family business. Now, you have a great chance here. My son is a healer and a vessel for the Holy Spirit. He has a church. You will be cast up as the rest back to perdition. I'm fixed like no other company in this field. I have a string of tools ready to put to work. That's why I can guarantee to start drilling and to put up the cash to back my word. I assure you, ladies and gentlemen, no matter what the others promise to do, when it comes to the showdown, they won't be there. There's a whole ocean of oil under our feet. No one can get at it except for me. We'll offer 150000 for full title. When do we get our money, Daniel? <laughs> I look at people and I see nothing worth liking. Don't bully me, Daniel, please! I see the worst in people. We have a sinner with us. Get out of here, devil! I have a competition in me. I want no one else to succeed. I can't keep doing this on my own. with these um, people 
That was a very menacing Daniel Day-Lewis in that role. Have you seen that movie? I did. It was a remarkable movie. Yeah. It was so really Daniel Day-Lewis is retiring from uh, film. I guess he's got one more coming out, they said, in, uh, in the, on Christmas Day of this year, and then that's it. He was also in a movie called My Left Foot, which is a movie about an author who wrote books and could only write with control of his left foot. It's a pretty good movie. Watched <laughs> that in, uh, when I was in medical school at USF uh, under Dr. Lois Nixon's humanities course. It was pretty mm. fun. Uh, the other thing I wanted to cover was that I have a idea, and Chris has not seen this yet because he couldn't get on, uh, but I have an idea for a sequel, and if you're interested in following it, go to the Ask Dr. Tommy site, and it is an idea for a sequel to The Godfather, which is my favorite movie of all time, Godfather 1 and 2, and it's called 100 Days, and it's about the Godfather's uh, return to prominence in the aftermath of 44 years since the last sequel. So in this sequel, I propose the, oops, in this sequel that I propose, the Godfather Part 3 has not taken place. We pretend like that doesn't exist. So it's 2.5. Is it's actually yeah Godfather two point five or Godfather just the epilogue, so Francis Ford Coppola thought that the Godfather Part Three to him was an epilogue, and Godfather One and Two were two halves of the same movie, which I agree with, and I think that the epilogue as Godfather Part Three, although it was uh, serviceable, was not as good as it should be, and this is a proposal for the godfather part three to incorporate one of the biggest weaknesses of godfather part three was that it didn't have tom hagen in it in this in this movie that i propose there is a tom hagen character Hmm. and if you look here there's a cast so michael corleone is al pacino or al pacino is michael corleone robert duvall is tom hagen Hmm. andy garcia is still in this in the role of vincent corleone uh then we have uh, from the uh, Sopranos, Bobby Bacala, Steve Sherpa is Jimmy Maltabano, who is the governor of New Jersey. Then we have Billy Bob Thornton as the consigliere to Andy Garcia, and he is not Italian. He is Greek-Irish, unlike Tom Hagen, who is German-Irish. Talia Shire returns as Connie Corleone, and we introduce a new antagonist, Enrico Calantoni, I believe is how you say his name, is Ivan Nikiforov, who is a Russian uh, mobster and head of the New York extension of the Russian mafia or Russian mob. And if you want to learn more about it, there's all the plot outline. But basically, it pretends like The Godfather Part Three never happened, and this is a new storyline. And I'd be interested to see if any Godfather fans out there have any uh, ideas about how it could be improved and then I will co-op those and then when I sell the screenplay keep them for myself <laughs> no I'm just joking another thing I wanted to talk about was uh, you were talking earlier about some of the things that is in the news and recently we were uh, given the um, I guess you call it exposed to the Kathy, Kathy Griffin controversy having to do with decapitation of Donald Trump mm. and you were talking earlier before the show about how there's this, um, I don't know, tell me, what, what do you think about all that? I think it's kind of funny that she went on right after the photo was published and, and uh, 
she issued an apology, which to me wasn't even really an apology. It was kind of it was kind of saving face, something she felt she had to do, probably something her publicist told her, you have to do this real quick to fix this. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't genuine, in my opinion. But then she went on CNN, I think it was CNN, and um, was all weepy and teary-eyed and, and talking about how she's being, uh, she didn't use the word censored, uh -huh. but essentially she's being censored. The white man is keeping her down. Rich white men are keeping her down was exactly what she said. Right. The host of the show said you're being censored. And I think it was, it's kind of funny that she would say now that she's being censored because in effect what she did is censored herself. Um, she's yeah. the one that issued the apology. She's the one that took the photo down. It was her doing. She censored herself. Nobody told her she had to do it. Right. Uh, I don't even know if a publicist told her she had. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make is because we use that word censorship because it's like a hot button topic. It's like saying a racist or bigot or something like that. If you say censor, you can automatically potentially shut down your opponent. So if, if I come in here and I'm saying something and you don't agree with it, I say, well, Chris, you're trying to censor me. And then you, if you're not careful or not you know, willing to defend yourself, you'll say, you'll stop. So it's kind of like when you're having an argument with someone, you can use these hot button words. So yes, yeah, censorship. She she took it down herself, and then I think what she's confusing censorship with is criticism. And if you can't stand point. the heat, get out of the kitchen. Yeah. And especially if you're going to do something as uh, flamboyant as that, and certainly uh, she intended to do that and have it seen by a lot of people. Yeah, you did it. Own it. You know, and you made a choice. You must have thought about it before you did it. It was yeah. And I think it gets back to one of the most uh, interesting things, if you think it's interesting, is the idea of the celebrity and the culture that we live in. And whereas the celebrity, what the celebrity thinks is important. Yeah. And I believe that a lot of celebrities do think what they think is important. Um, I think they believe that there's, they live in a world where in their bubble, everybody in their bubble thinks they're important. Mm -hmm. So in, in New York City, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, all these big media towns where there's a lot of money, power, and influence. And they run in these circles where that's the only people they meet. And then when they go out and then they, they so they do something that's for the consumption of that audience. And then once they, you know, get exposed, they're, they're shocked about it. So I think Kathy Griffin was probably shocked that people were um, not in agreement with her because in her circle, everyone agrees with her. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's like we were talking earlier. I think probably if you were to go into those those cities, those towns, and you go in amongst the power players of Washington, D.C. or L.A. or New York City and survey those those groups, I think the diversity of their opinion is probably very little. Very little, I would think. And then <clears throat> so what happens is you get exposed uh, to reality. And honestly, people don't care about necessarily what Kathy Griffin says or any any celebrity. No. Or me. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't or any of us, really, I guess. We yeah. all could say that we live in our own little bubble. Yeah. But like you were, we were kind of talking before a little bit and talking about somebody in maybe Joplin, Missouri or something like that, which I'm sure is a fine town. I've never been there, but probably doesn't care yeah. about Kathy Griffin in yep. any way, shape, or, or form. Or Leonardo DiCaprio. Probably. Or true. what he happens to think about. Uh, thinks anyway, yeah. Uh, you know, anything. And uh, just like those guys probably don't care anything about what people think in Joplin, Missouri. Probably not. No. And, it doesn't uh, influence them, and they don't influence them, vice versa. So yeah. 
but I think it's a it's a bigger criticism of the 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 media and that the media gives such a narrow sliver of what is considered opinion news and everything. It's amazing when you, I think I was I was talking to Tracy, uh, one of our patients has a um, one of our patients has family in Missouri, and in Missouri there's been horrendous flooding. Mm. Did you know that? I did not. I didn't know that either. It's not on the. No, it didn't happen in New York City or any of the places yeah. that are important to those people. It wasn't reported. It may have been reported. If you go search for it, go search Missouri flood on uh, you know MSNBC. You have to know to search that. You may you may find it. But if that had happened somewhere where it was important to those people, it would be all over the page. So it's kind of a a, a critique of uh, media and mm-hmm. what they cover and what they think is important. Anyway, it's a little commentary for this uh, week. Uh, anything important or anything you're going to be doing for the summer? Any, any plans? Nope. No plans this year. We're sending two kids off to college and we're considering that vacation. Yeah. <laughs> How many kids are going to college? Well, three, right? Two for sure. Three, third one on the trying way. to get in. Don't know when he's going to go, but it will be three, two for sure. I was talking to one of our patients earlier this morning about college. It's funny that you mentioned that. And we were talking about what college, uh, what is college worth mm. as far as an education? And um, my feeling is that there's a lot of college education, uh, which is a waste. And there's a lot of things that kids are studying now in college, quote unquote, universities, that is never going to pay off for them. Mm. And potentially they could have a better chance of making money and being in less debt if they did something that was more technical. I, I mean, I would kind of tend to agree with that, I think. I, I can't say for sure with college. I think you get out of it what you put into it, in a, you know, largely. Mm-hmm. But um, one of my kids is going to more of a technical type school. It's not a university. It's a, it's a, it's a college, right. I guess. It's, it's called university, but it's a two-year degree. Right. And so that's what I would consider... A non-university track education, yes. which is potentially more beneficial. He's learning a, a a skill that's on a career path, whereas the other kids are going to well, one's in UCF, mm-hmm. and the other is going to UF. Mm-hmm. And although they have career paths, they still have to fill in the gaps. Right. With the other, I think a lot of the stuff. problem with. Uh, college is that it's expected that you're going to go to college out of high school. And I don't think there's a lot of credence given to technical education. I agree. And certainly there is a way that kids can graduate from high school, never go to college, go to technical school, or even go into the military and become extremely successful, much more successful than they would have ever been getting a uh, liberal arts education. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, for sure. I, I, you know, it's it's kind of counterintuitive for me to say it potentially because here I am. I had eight years of college, yeah. four years of uh, postgraduate training, and here I am saying that college is not necessary. But for most yeah. most of the things that you do in your life, that you interact with those people, those people are not going to four year universities. Uh, people who fix your car, people who uh, um, make sure that you know you're staying on your physical therapy track. Those are you know, not necessarily physical therapists. That could be a physical therapy assistant who exactly. didn't have a four-year degree. Right. 
I think to be a doctor, though, you know, you still have to go to the, you have to go through the schooling. That's, oh, that's sure. I, so I think there are certain Absolutely. fields that you have to go through all the schooling. But there are others that I just don't think it makes sense to have to sit through, you know, geometry again mm-hmm. because it's got nothing whatsoever. Yeah, what if you want to become this? a producer? Yeah, what does geometry matter, yeah. probably? What if you want to learn how to uh, do what we're doing right now, shooting some type of video? Yeah. That's a technical school. Sure, I could. Yeah, well, yeah. Right. And the other thing, too, is about this new this new economy, I guess you call it, is this tech economy. I would not be surprised to see in the in the coming years if if there are groups like Microsoft or Google or all these um, technical um, businesses that sponsor an education specific to them. Well, doesn't Apple kind of do that now? I would imagine, no. But I don't know that, but I would think that I thought that would had- be smart. Apple University or something, and I might be wrong about that. I might have misunderstood what they were talking about, but I thought that's kind of what it was. It makes perfect sense to me, and especially given, like I said, the way our economy is moving and more towards a technical uh, liberal liberal arts education still has value, but is not necessary to uh, program necessarily. Yeah. Uh, Anything? uh, Any any um, concerts you want to go to over the summer? I know. Uh, Roger Waters is coming to town. I've seen Roger Waters twice now, so I don't have to see him again. Uh, hmm. Anybody else? I don't even know who's coming to town other than, I think, Foreigner and Journey maybe or something like that. Did oh, yeah, I saw that. But I'm not even and sure. And I saw the if. Eagles, too, are still going to continue oh, yeah. on tour with uh, Vince Gill and uh, Glenn Fry's son in his stead and on vocals okay, and I guess guitar too. That'd be interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And I was, I was reading about that last night cause I was, uh, I don't know what got me onto the Eagles, but I was reading something about the Eagles and uh, Glenn Fry who passed away of rheumatoid arthritis. I think it was earlier this year uh, or last year. He um, complications from rheumatoid arthritis uh, co-founder of the Eagles along with uh, Don Henley. Don, and Henley yeah. Don Felder wasn't a co-founder. Was no. he? Mm-hmm. It was Don Henley, Bernie Leiden, maybe. Uh, or is it just Fry and... Uh, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, they're still going to go on tour. Um, I never saw the Eagles in concert, did you? No. Mm-mm. I'd like to see Joe Walsh. Um. So <laughs> I uh, was talking to a friend actually the other day that did has seen Joe Walsh. And, uh-huh. and uh, he's touring right now, I guess. Yeah, I saw that he was in, he's going to be in Vegas. He's trying to go see him somewhere. I thought it was in Texas, but... Uh, yeah. Anyway, he said, uh, "It's a Joe Walsh is Joe Walsh. You wonder a lot of the times if he's even mentally there still." Mm. And then he goes into his, you know, his songs, and they're all just perfect, spot on. Yeah. And you're like, "Oh, that's Joe Walsh right there." Then he goes off on these little rants in between songs. And you're like, "What is this guy talking about?" Right, right back into a song again, and it's like perfect. Well, you know, there's a different part of your brain that's musical. And you know, we covered this when I was uh, did the show with Dr. Hoffman in the musical part of the brain. In terms of uh, in terms of embryology, is a very primitive part of the brain. So the part of the brain that recognizes music is extremely is older than the part that recognizes speech. Hmm. So that may have something to do with that. Hmm. That's interesting. So that's on. If you want to learn more about that, see the uh, subscribe on YouTube to the Ask Doctor Tommy uh, channel. And then uh, on our YouTube channel, you should uh, look up Michael Hoffman. That's two F's and two M's, two N's. Uh, he's a neurologist that I interviewed. who was a former attending of mine when I was at USF. But yeah, he talked about that. Easiest way to subscribe to our channel is to go to AskDrTommy.com. 
click on the YouTube icon at the bottom and then hit subscribe. Um, so I'm going to be leaving tonight. I'm going to go drive uh, with uh, uh, Brian and Jody to go visit uh, Tracy's family. They've already gone to uh, Pigeon Forge in Tennessee. So I'll be leaving tonight She's overnight driving. Five days or so already? She has been. Yeah. And the place is about to fall apart. Here. No, <laughs> yeah. we're doing all right. I'm sure. But uh, I'm going to go visit them and then um, I guess we're going to drive overnight. You have any road games that you like to play when you're traveling? Do you ever travel much over long periods? We always bring Mad Libs. Mad Libs? Do, yeah. When I was a kid, we used to play a thing where you have to pick a license plate from each state. And that's usually when I was driving, we're driving from a Lakeland to Gainesville and it felt like it was a half a day trip. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but when you're a kid, it feels like that, but it was only yeah. a couple hours. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the things I think we're going to try tonight is we're going to, uh, to make things go a little bit more, uh, excitingly, uh, we're going to, we're going to pick up a random hitchhiker and then see if we can just like kind of survive the trip. What do you think? No, not a good idea. Not a good idea. <laughs> we'll see if Brian Joe. I mean, if you're going to do that, don't forget to bring the scotch and Jim Beam with you too. And Hey, yeah. make it a party, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, don't forget the, uh, the little, the little camper, the little VW bus camper. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and forget and don't forget a, a, a weapon yeah. um, the song of the week is Deep Purple uh, Perfect Strangers and you saw Deep Purple you were talking about earlier before they opened for Rush they opened for Rush I think it was 1985 it could have been 84 but I think it was like January 85 mm-hmm. and uh, they rocked man they were just awesome so that was the year that was the year after they cut the Perfect Strangers album it was the that tour. That yeah. tour. And Perfect Strangers was when they regrouped. Uh, the end of the 70s, from the mid-70s to the end of the 70s, slowly Deep Purple disintegrated and was replaced with different players. And this is considered what we probably call the classic lineup of Deep Purple with Richie Blackmore, Ian Pace, um, Ian Gillen, uh, Roger Glover, and John Lord. Yeah. And that is the classic lineup and the Deep Purple song of the week is Knocking It, no, it's Perfect Strangers, title track from the album. And uh, if you're interested in buying that, then you certainly should because it's a great band. It's great. Take care.